Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a letter that has had us talking about a great number of different things. And evidently there have been a couple of things that have caught your attention <laughs> as I was going back through your questions and more specifically your comments and observations. There are two topics that uh, seem to have grabbed you, and I want to reflect with those a little more the first of which is this idea of working out and Paul's emphasis on building ourselves up in the spiritual life the same way we might build ourselves up in the physical life. And I made to reflect upon this not only because of your comments and observations, but also because of a conversation I found myself in just the other day. I was in a large group and someone had asked someone across the room, how's your workout going? And I was struck by some of the things that this young man said. He works out every day, in fact, I think twice a day, and he was using such words as intensity, um, focus. You know, when he talked about his workouts doing well, he said it's when he's focused, it's, it's when he's intense, it's when he has a sense of purpose. And then he said, you know, I have my down days, I, I have my bad days. And those are the days that I'm just lacking focus. Those are the days that I'm lacking intensity. Those are the days that I forget my sense of purpose and why I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So as I was listening to him, I could not help but translate all of that language into the spiritual life. And the conversation continued in such a way where it had us all talking about the spiritual life. Why? Because think about it. In the spiritual life, if we are lacking intensity, if we are lacking focus, if we are lacking a sense of purpose in prayer, what's going to happen? We're going to lose our drive. We're going to lose our sense of why we are doing what we should be doing. But if we do focus, if we are intense, if we do have a sense of purpose, then all of that prayer will be poured into what? But a deeper understanding of who we are and, and where we are going and why we do what we do. So that word intensity was the one that really grabbed me because when we are intense in prayer, when we are focused in prayer, what happens? It begins to change the way we pray. I was thinking about the game of basketball. I remember my sophomore, junior, senior years in high school, really pushing myself to the limit working out long hours. I had aspirations of getting a basketball scholarship, so I would just push myself and push myself. I often pushed myself to the point where I couldn't walk or run anymore. But at the end of the workout, at the end of my training, I felt so good, right? This is another thing that this young man talked about, just feeling good afterwards when he really pushed himself, as opposed to when he didn't push himself, when he, when he was lacking intensity, how he didn't feel good. Again, the same is true in the spiritual life. When we spend just not a little bit of time, but more time in prayer, and we do so with that sense of intensity 
and focus, we will begin to feel good about ourselves and what God is calling us to do. Now, it's interesting, too, because over the course of this conversation, the young man made a point how, you know, the more I work out, the more I want to work out. Huh? Does that sound familiar? Have we not talked about the principle of what you feed grows? The more you pray, the more you will want to pray. Why? Because there's something therapeutic about it. It's different in the physical life. You know, we're not releasing endorphins per se in the spiritual life, but what you are doing is something so much more. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, going deeper in that love. And if there's a joy in the physical life, how much more all the joy in the spiritual life when you spend more time with God. So this whole analogy that Paul plays with as it relates to building ourselves up, and even more specifically, running the race, understanding the importance of competition. You know, there's a tendency today to water down the sense of what it means to be called a victor or a champion. Why? Because we want to water down competition. We want everyone to be on the, the same playing field. It just doesn't work that way. You go out into the real world and it's all about competition. And that's only a reflection of a much deeper spiritual truth as well. And that deeper spiritual truth is we are running a race and the crowds are cheering us on, right? And that race is caught up in the battle between good and evil. So let us gird ourselves, arm ourselves with intense, focused, contemplative prayer. And again, we will be on our way. Now, the other topic, and in some ways, it dovetails what we were just talking about, is memory. We have talked about memory in a number of different contexts, certainly the least of which is the Eucharist, and we talked about the importance of memory, not only in Christ's words, do this in remembrance of me, but also how we should understand those words from Christ in the light of our anthropology of body and soul, memory as a, a chief faculty of our soul. And a number of you made some comments and, and made some observations. And, and as I have been reflecting with this more, and I do so with one of my favorite theologians, Father Cantalamesa, I have been struck by more insights that I have gained. Well, first, we have talked about how memory is one of the most mysterious and splendid faculties of the human mind. Everything we have seen, everything we have heard, everything we have thought, and everything we have done from our early infancy is what? But stored in this immense womb, as St. Augustine would call it, we call memory. The Latin word for remember comes from the word recordare. It literally translates as to bring back again the re to the heart, core. So the root to the Latin word for remember is what? heart. So memory is not just an activity of the intellect. It is also one of the will and the heart. Huh? Isn't that beautiful? So to remember is to think of with love, with love. And what is going on here? Well, when a mother thinks of her newborn baby, she does so in a transport of what? But tenderness and maternal love. Could we not say the same thing is true of the saints in a more spiritual way when they think of God. If you have your Bibles out right now, go to Psalm chapter 63, verse 6. 
Psalm chapter 63, verse 6. Listen to what the psalmist says here. When I think of thee on my bed, so think, right? And meditate on thee in the watches of the night, in the shadow of thy wings, I sing for joy. So to remember is to bring someone into the heart of not only who Jesus Christ is, but who we are. Memory, my friends, is the chief faculty of the soul because it routes our whole identity. And when our memory is caught up in the very life of Christ, then our identity receives its proper shape and form in Christ, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me, in those words of the institution of the Eucharist. Why? Because when we receive the Eucharist, who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, again, receives its proper shape and form. So a lot there, you know, we talk about these things from one day to the next, from one week to the next, and I will hit the pause button when I see more than one comment on one specific topic. And as I see that you are being made to reflect upon the importance of the analogy of working out and also what memory means to you, certainly it deserves more time on air here. Okay, with that, let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We have been uh, talking about tongues. I did get a question from you as it relates to praying in tongues to God, just mano y mano, and then the interpretation of tongues. And the question was, in the end, if it's all about building up the church, do we need the praying in tongues without interpretation? Well, we must remember something here. <laughs> Charisms are given for the building up of the church. Yes, yes, but obviously, if one member is built up, then the whole church is built up, okay? So we are to never forget that the overarching structure of our Christian faith is about that in God for other moment, that the for other moment, our existing for other, will not be what it needs to be if we are not first in God, right? We receive the, the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, so as to better understand the task that Jesus Christ puts before us. If we are going to make him known to those we meet, we must first come to know him. Is this not the center of the law of God. What did Jesus say? Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love neighbor as yourself. There's an order there, right? There's a sequence there. First, love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and then love neighbor as yourself. You cannot possibly love neighbor as you ought if you not first love God with your whole being. We see this in the Ten Commandments, this structure of in God for other right? We see the, this structure with the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude is about what? Being poor in God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that Greek word for spirit, pneuma, breath, right? Wind. The idea there in principle is if we long for God the same way our lungs long for air, we will be well on our way. And oh, by the way, all those other Beatitudes will fall into place. Remember, that beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, is the lead point to Christ's whole Sermon on the Mount. So all of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are hinged 
upon Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Hebrew understanding of that beatitude, uh, poor in spirit, is to be poor in God. The Hebrew word is anawim, to rely on God and upon God for everything. Anawim uh, is best translated as to be bent over, right? So there you have the importance of humility. Humility is the foundation of the Christian life, counting everyone else more important than you. All right, so <laughs> to your question in regards to tongues, and should not all tongues be interpreted? Not necessarily, and that's not what Paul's talking about here. Certainly it's important and very important in the church, but praying in tongues before God is a gift nonetheless. All right, so again, if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, and I will go ahead and read verses 6 to 19, chapter 14, verses 6 to 19. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how shall I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you in a tongue utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, he who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may give thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. <clears throat> Those are some powerful closing verses there, huh? <laughs> What do we have here in verses 7 to 8? Here we have Paul comparing tongues, and I love this image, to musical instruments. And in verse 8, as you can detect by the words, right, bugle is specific to battle, like, like the trumpet, right? So it, more of a military trumpet. The idea in principle is just as music follows an ordered sequence of notes— and ultimately a battle call has a distinctive sound, so the language of tongues has an intelligible meaning in itself. And as Paul highlights, left untranslated, however, tongues remain incoherent to the congregation like a string of meaningless noises. Does this not highlight, among so many other things, the importance of audible sound? and how words in of themselves, inflection, right, has this kind of sacramental quality. Okay, we 
think about something. But if I fail to put an audible sound to what I'm thinking, you will never know what I'm thinking. Maybe you can begin to get a sense of what I'm thinking by looking at my body language. Yeah, for sure. And much could be said about our body language in relationship to communication. But until we put it to audible words, we're still left with what we think. We're still left with speculation, what you think the person might be thinking. Only until words are put to what is in the mind can we begin to have the real conversation. Remember, my friends, that communication is all about what? But the dialogue, the dialogic. Logic is the instrument to reason. Die is what? Two. So in order for there to be a very real communication, you need not only the one speaking, but also the one listening. And in that listen-response dynamic, we will come to discover the truth that needs to be discovered in whatever conversation you are having. How can that possibly be without the spoken word? So distinctive sounds, inflection, all of that is instrumental in the life of the church as it seeks to communicate the revelation of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's meaningless, right? This is what Paul wants us to understand. It's meaningless. It's vanity. Remember the word vanity comes from the Latin vanus, which simply means emptiness, a waste of time. It's just not tied to what we look like, but also what is meaningless, what is a waste of time. So Paul is wanting to draw this out for sure. And he does so with a powerful image, something that people could relate to. St. Paul would always ask the question, what image can I use? What words should be said that would connect me with the people that I'm writing to or with the people that I'm preaching to? Just as Jesus was the great evangelist, and how he evangelized our imagination with the image. Note that the word image is the root word to imagination, right? (laughs) So does St. Paul, and so are we in our writing and in our teaching to evangelize the imagination with images, things that people can connect with, right? Or otherwise, it's what? Meaningless. It's in the abstract. And so he applies all of this to Uh, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. If there's no interpretation of tongues, especially in a public gathering, what's the point? It's meaningless. And certainly he's highlighting this because some uh, Corinthians have been caught up in this show, this show that is the attention given to someone when they are speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. How about uh, verse 14? This one struck me. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Brothers and sisters, it is not about lip service, right? This Thursday, by the way, I'm going to respond to one of your questions that deals with uh, this call we have to pray for one another, a question I have been getting quite a bit recently and and in my queue, so I want to spend more time with that. One of the things we're going to talk about is what Jesus condemns, this lip service. You speak words, but it, it is not in the heart, right? Well, here you have kind of the opposite, right? You, you can pray in the Spirit, but if, you're, if your mind is not engaged, then what good is it? In the end, 
We are to never pray with just the heart and not the mind, or just the mind and not the heart. We are called to engage mind and heart. And what's interesting here is, with uh, verse 16 and 17, how this impacts the larger community. What does Paul say? Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may give thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Edified. So when we are praying as we ought and living as we ought, engaging both mind and heart, those around you will be edified. Huh? And this bears fruit. So Paul is saying, hey, it is not enough to just pray in the Spirit, right, to be praying tongues. It has to be made intelligible, and it can when you unite mind and heart so that it might be ultimately edifying to others. All right, what else here? Well, this last verse, uh, verse 19, also struck me. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. How much time do we spend engaging with others about pointless things? And what does that have to do with the very little time that we might spend with someone talking about the stuff of Jesus Christ? Now, I know Paul here is talking about tongues, but there is an additional insight to be gained here. And that is, again, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time talking about trivial things. Now, we were just talking about meeting people where they are at, right, in our evangelization. Certainly, you can meet people where they're at. And in that case, things that might typically be trivial, well, might not be trivial because you're engaging them. But be mindful that ultimately this is about summoning man into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What am I thinking about here? Well, I'm a fan of Notre Dame football. So if there's another person who's a fan of Notre Dame football, I might engage with them some details about Notre Dame football, okay? And, and there we might establish some sort of fraternity or camaraderie, uh, a kinship, okay? And, and over time, by the grace of God, God will use that where he might then, over time, start asking new questions. Why? Because he just, you know, sees that I might be a normal guy who likes to watch Notre Dame football. God uses all things at his disposal, okay? God uses all things at his disposal. If facts about the history of Notre Dame leads to a much deeper discussion, then praise God, right? And so we have to be present to that, present to how God does use all things at his disposal. We all have information at our fingertips that are trivial, and God will even use that. <laughs> all right, I received another question about tongues. Can you give concrete examples? And so what I thought I would do is give you a concrete example from my own experience. When I was at Franciscan University of Steubenville, I was taking uh, second year Spanish. And while I had my own struggles with Spanish at the time, there were other students who uh, struggled even more. And quite honestly, I didn't think they were going to pass the course. At the end of the course, we had an oral examination that we had to give, just not between the student and professor, but also before the class. And the class had to ask questions in Spanish, and we had to engage uh, the students in Spanish as best we could. Well, on one particular occasion, 
the one student who struggled more than any other student in class was called to the front of the classroom. And he was called to present his research in Spanish. And we were given three minutes to do so, so he had three minutes to do it. And he prayed. This Franciscan University of Steubenville, a very Catholic university. And so he called upon the Holy Spirit. And my dear friends, in the following three minutes, he proceeded to give a beautiful explanation of his research in Spanish. It was as fluent as I had heard up to that point. In point of fact, he was probably more fluent than the professor. He had all of us in the classroom with our jaws dropped, including our professor. That was the last person we would have expected to speak in this kind of fluent Spanish. When he was done, we had asked our questions as best as we could in Spanish, and he responded to them beautifully. And after the course was over, the class was over, I had pulled him aside and I said, that was amazing. Amazing in the truest sense of the word, right? And he looked at me and he said, you know, Joe, I have no idea what I said. What are you talking about? You have no idea what you said. That was fluent Spanish. He said, I prayed for the Holy Spirit to come over me and I just started praying. And I thought, what are you talking about? He said, I had no idea what I was saying but I just started speaking. And I didn't understand it at the time. I'd later come to find out that what was probably going on was that he was speaking in tongues. And as the professor would speak to it the next day, that presentation was the single strongest presentation he'd received all semester. And my dear friends, we are talking about someone who struggled in Spanish. And so I had asked the professor after the course was over and, uh, after he had turned in my grade, <laughs> what was your interpretation of that? He says, well, my interpretation was incredibly fluent Spanish, and I have no human explanation. So I just thought that was striking. There's a few other examples here that George Montague gives, just kind of more anecdotal evidences of uh, the gift of tongues. He speaks of this Father Daniel Gagnon, who was preaching in English to an Iraqi congregation in Detroit in 2004, when he felt inspired to speak in tongues. And he had no idea what he was saying. Only until afterward, an Iraqi came forward and said he heard Father Dan speaking in a beautiful Arabic. And maybe more importantly, a language and images he can connect with and probably the whole congregation was able to connect with. Um, there are many experiences that people have had out there that in many ways confirm the authenticity of praying in tongues, and also the importance of interpreting that tongue. It is a reality. It is a truth. And it is something we need to, what did St. Paul say, earnestly desire and pray for. So this we do, my friends. This we do. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.